Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all the things that you do for us. We thank you for what's gone on here this weekend, for the Bible Bowl, for all of those young people who have such a love for your word and a, a desire to know it in depth. And Father, we pray that you'll bless them. Father, thank you for allowing us to be a part of that, to be able to host that event here. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it's been passed down to us so that we can dig into it, read it, and put ourselves into, into your story so that we can hear people like James speak to us. Father, uh, words that are as fresh to us today as they were when he wrote them thousands of years ago. And Father, we just pray that we won't just be hearers of the word, that we will be doers of the word. And we pray this through Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, this is one of those topics that's kind of difficult in a way. I almost wore steel-toed boots uh, this morning because James is really going to step on my toes. He's probably going to step on your toes as well as we talk about taming our tongues. We all know the power of words. We know the power they have to accomplish great good, and we know the power they have to cause great harm. We know how words can lift people up, and we know how they can tear people down. And we also know that once our words roll off of our tongues, we can't ever really take them back. And that's why James, in his letter, his letter which seems like it's written directly to us, that's why he gives more attention to what comes out of our mouth than any other topic that he writes about. You'll remember that James said a few things about our tongues earlier in his letter. In chapter 1, in verse 19, he told us that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And we know that's good advice for all of us. You'll also remember that James's words became even more forceful later on in that chapter. In verse 26, he wrote this. If any of you consider yourselves to be religious and yet don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourselves and your religion is worthless. James is concerned. James is concerned about the damage that wagging tongues inflict. And he wants to make sure that we understand that wagging tongue religion is worthless. It's without value. I've been saying throughout these weeks that we've been in James that his letter is as relevant to us today as it was the day it was written. But as James talks about wagging tongues, his words seem like they're even more relevant to us today than they were when they were written. More relevant to us today because there's never been a time in human history when people have more opportunities to freely wag their tongues than right now. We've got phone calls, we've got texts, we've got emails, we've got Facebook, we've got Twitter, we've got blogs, we've got message boards, and it goes on and on and on. We live in a time when it's easier than ever to wag our tongues. And I think that that means it's more important than ever that we have control of our tongues. And to emphasize the importance of tongue control here in chapter 3, of his letter, James uses several vivid images to illustrate the power of our speech and the importance of controlling what we say. He talks about horses and bits, he talks about ships and rudders, and he talks about fire. In fact, he says that the tongue is a fire, and that's the image that we're going to focus on today. 
We're going to focus on the fact that our tongues are like fires and that if they aren't controlled, they're capable of lighting immensely destructive wildfires. Wildfires within our church family. So listen again to what James said in chapter 3 and verse 3. He said, when we put bits into the mouths of horses or make them obey us, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by the winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James is concerned. He's concerned because he knows that our tongues have an influence way out of proportion to the size of our tongues. James knows that this little two to three ounce muscular organ that we possess has superpowers. Superpowers for the good, but James is more concerned about the fact that it has superpowers for the bad. It's able to wreak havoc. It's able to wreak havoc in our lives. It's able to wreak havoc in our families, and it's able to wreak havoc in our church. James is concerned. He's concerned because he knows that we will either take control of our tongues, or if we set them free to wag, our tongues will take control of us. James is concerned. James is concerned because he knows. He knows from his experience, like we know from our experiences, that out-of-control tongues bring uncontrolled damage. Once our words are said, they become unmanageable. We can't put a bit in their mouths to control them. We can't attach a rudder to them to control them. We can't tell them where to go. They go where they go. They become like a wild animal or they become like a ship without a rudder that can't be steered. Those are powerful visuals that James gives us. But I think it's James's third image that really hits home for us, really hits home for New Mexicans. Because we understand wildfires. We understand the importance of controlling fires. We understand the damage that can be done if even one spark Even one spark is set loose at the wrong time and in the wrong place. Most of us will remember what happened in June of 2011. It was June 26. It was a windy day during a time of extreme fire danger. And up in the Hamas Mountains, just outside Hamas Springs, a tree, a dead tree was blown over on some power lines, which caused some sparks, which started a little fire. But it was extremely dry and it was extremely windy and that little fire grew into a very large fire. In those dry and windy conditions, that small fire consumed 43,000 acres in its very first day. By its second day, it had grown to 61,000 acres and it was still 0% contained. Ultimately, that fire burned 156,000 acres. It destroyed 63 homes, it burned 49 outbuildings, and it cost $41 million before it was finally contained on August the 3rd. We know wildfires. 
We know about their destructive power. We've smelled the smoke. We've seen the slurry bombers fly over our houses. We've swept the cinders off of our front porches. We've had wildfires threaten our camp. We've had events canceled. We know the destructive power of wildfires. And we know how difficult they are to contain once they get going, once they ignite. So James's words resonate with us. Our tongues are fires. They're capable of pushing that tree over onto the power lines and setting out sparks that start a fire that just can't be controlled until it has done great damage. Great damage to our church family. And here in New Mexico, wildfires are generally a seasonal thing. We're in the middle of fire season right now. It's during the spring and the early summer when things are dry and when the winds are prevalent. It's seasonal. But in the church, fire season isn't seasonal. It's always fire season in the church. And it seems like the danger level is always extreme. See, here in our life together, there's always the danger that the wrong words said at the wrong time to the wrong people will start a fire that will grow into a wildfire that will cause tragic damage and it will come at great cost to individuals and great cost to the church and great cause to the cause of Christ here in our community. It's always fire season in the church and the danger is always extreme. But that doesn't mean we can't do something about it. We have the ability and we have the opportunity to lessen the fire danger in our church. We have the opportunity and we have the ability to make it less likely that those wrong words said to the wrong people at the wrong time will actually start a fire. We can reduce the threat of fire. And we can do that by bringing rain to the church. Those of us who have spent most of our life here in the desert southwest have an interesting relationship with rain. It's a relationship with rain that's really difficult for people who haven't lived in the desert for very long to understand. We have these extended conversations about moisture. We spend a lot of time praying for rain. We anxiously listen to weather reports and we scour the sky looking for signs, looking for hints that the monsoons are on their way. And when it happens, when the monsoons do come, like they're supposed to come early in July, when the mountains get that first rain early in July and then it rains every afternoon like clockwork for weeks, it's magical. Everything changes. That's the power of rain. Rain creates conditions where even if the wind blows a dead tree onto the power lines and sparks do come out of the power lines, a fire doesn't start. Or if it does start, it dies. Or if it does get going, it's easily contained because of the rain. And that's what we need to do in the church. It's what we need to do here at Netherwood Park. We need to bring rain to the church so that when the wrong word is said to the wrong person at the wrong time, the destructive fires never even have a chance to get going. So how do we do that? How do we bring rain to the church? 
Well, we'll bring rain to the church with our care and compassion for each other. And we'll do it with our commitment to each other. We'll bring rain to the church. We'll bring rain to Netherwood Park by how we care for each other and how we interact with each other. You know, all of us, all of us that are here this morning are like New Mexicans waiting for the summer monsoons, waiting for relief. We all crave and we all need for others to care about us. And we all crave and we all need for others to have compassion on us. And we all crave and we all need to know that our brothers and sisters are committed to us. What we need is we need to love each other and we need to know that we are loved by each other. That's what brings rain down on the church. That's what lowers the fire danger. That's what keeps us from being dry and brittle fuel for fires. We'll bring rain down on the church. See, James knows and we know that the wrong words will be said. And they'll be said to the wrong people. And they'll be said at the wrong time. That will happen. But if we have been soaked in love, and if we have been soaking each other in love, that fire won't get started. It'll die right there. If it does get started, it will be easily contained. And we as a family won't suffer devastating damage. So how does that happen? What do we do to bring a year-round monsoon of love into our church? Well, we'll bring rain to the church by being loving. Not by loving, but by being loving. Not just feeling love toward each other, but by showing love and showing affection toward each other. And we can do that in a number of ways. We'll show love and bring rain to the church by being patient with each other. We'll have time for each other. We'll be willing to move at someone else's pace. And we'll all live with the understanding that we are all unfinished works of God, but God is working on all of us. And we'll bring rain to the church by being kind to each other. We'll treat each other with generosity. We'll treat each other with tenderness. We'll treat each other with sympathy. And we'll treat each other with compassion. And we'll bring rain to Netherwood Park by being humble with each other. I like this definition of humility in the church that I came across. It said humility is being courteously respectful of each other. So we here at Netherwood Park, we will be courteously respectful of each other. We'll be humble with each other. And we'll bring rain to Netherwood Park by honoring each other. We will recognize and celebrate and respect the worth that we each have. And we all have tremendous worth because we are all children of God and we are all made in his image. And we'll bring rain to Netherwood Park by our selflessness. We'll put others first. We'll put other people's needs before our own, and we will be selfless instead of selfish. 
And we'll bring rain to Netherwood Park by being slow to anger. Instead of meeting fire with fire, we'll meet fire with a kind word. We'll meet fire with a calm reply. And we'll bring rain to Netherwood Park by being forgiving. When the sparks do fly, and when the wrong words are said to us at the wrong time, we'll forgive. We'll forgive instead of retaliating. We'll forgive instead of holding a grudge. We will be forgiving. And we'll bring rain to Netherwood Park by being protective of each other. We'll be people who do everything we can to keep each other from being burned. We'll protect each other. We'll correct misinformation that we hear about each other. We'll stop the rumors. We won't engage in gossip. And we'll counter harsh words with kind words. We'll bring rain by being protective. And we'll bring rain to Netherwood Park by trusting each other. We'll give each other the benefit of the doubt. We'll assume the best of each other. We'll assume that motives are pure even when the words sting. We'll trust each other. We'll bring rain by trusting each other because we trust that we're all loved by each other and that each of us have each other's best interest at heart. And we'll bring rain to Netherwood Park by being hopeful people. We'll be full of hope. We'll not only be full of hope, we will express our hope to each other. We'll express our hope for each other's good fortune and our good future. And we'll express our hope for our good fortune and good future together as a family. And finally, we'll bring rain to Netherwood Park by being steadfast. We'll be unwavering in our love and our commitment to each other. These words may sound familiar, but they do apply to us. We will be there in good times, and we'll be there in bad. We'll be there in sickness, and we'll be there in health. We'll be there in wealth, and we'll be there in poverty. See, we will be faithful to each other because we are all people who share a faith. And that's how we will lower the fire danger. That's how we'll reduce the threat. That's how we will control the fires that will come. But how will we stop the sparks? How do we keep those sparks from ever happening? How do we keep the tree from falling on the power lines and sparks occurring in the first place? How do we practice control of our tongues? Well, I want to say to you the starting point for that is the golden rule. We'll stop the sparks by treating others like we like to be treated. It's the golden rule. Actually, when it comes to our words, when it comes to speech, there are two golden rules. There are two golden rules of speech. The first golden rule of speech is this. We will speak to others as we would like to be spoken to. We will speak to others as we would like to be spoken to. And the second golden rule of speech is this. We will speak of others as we would like to be spoken of. Speak to as we would like to be spoken to and speak of as we would like to be spoken of. 
I will speak to you as I like to be spoken to. I don't like condescending words, so I won't be condescending. I don't like rudeness, so I won't be rude. I don't like to be ordered around, so I won't order around. We will stop the sparks by speaking to others as we would like to be spoken to. And we'll stop the sparks by speaking of others as we would like to be spoken of. What kind of things do we hope that others are saying about us? Think about that for a second. What do you hope that other people are saying about you? Then let's say those things about others. What words would make you feel loved if they were said to your face? What words would make you feel valued? What words would make you feel accepted? What words would make you feel encouraged? Then why don't we say those words to other people as well? Why don't I say them to your face? And why don't I say them to other people about you when you're not even present? But on the negative side, what words would make you feel unloved? What words would make you feel like you didn't have any value? What words would make you feel rejected? What words would make you feel discouraged if they were said to your face? Then why would we ever say those kind of words about anybody else? Those bring sparks. They don't bring rain. So we will stop the sparks by speaking to others as we would like to be spoken to. And we'll stop the sparks by speaking of others as we would like to be spoken of. And we'll also, start, we'll also stop the sparks by remembering who we are and whose we are. Throughout the Bible, in many different things, we read what we know is true. We know it's true in our heart, that our words reflect who we really are. The words of our mouths are a reflection of what's in our hearts. So we need to listen to our words and ask ourselves, is that really who I want to be? But we also need to listen to our words and ask ourselves the question, do my words reflect who he is? Do my words reflect who Jesus is? Are my words Christ-like? Do my words sound like Jesus? And that's why we should always taste our words before we ever spit them out. We taste our words because we want to know, are they seasoned with Christ? Do our words taste like Christ's love? Are they seasoned with Christ's wisdom? Are they seasoned with Christ's truth? And if our words don't taste like they came from Jesus Christ, those words shouldn't ever be shared with anybody. So let's close with seven questions. Seven questions that we'll ask ourselves to help us taste our words, taste the seasoning in our words to determine whether they should be shared or not. Questions to ask ourselves to see if our words should be said to someone else or if they should be said about someone else. Questions to ask so we can taste our words to find out if they're going to bring rain or if they're going to bring fire. 
And the first question we should always ask ourselves before we speak is, are our words true? I mean, are they verifiably true? Not just have they truly been uttered by somebody else, but are they verifiably true words? Is what I'm about to say, especially if it's about someone else, is it factual? Do I know that for sure? And the best way to find out if the words that you're about to say about someone else are true or not is to ask that person, I heard this, is it true? Second question. Second question needs to be asked because we understand that just because something is true doesn't mean it needs to be said. So the second question that we should ask is, is it loving? Is what I'm about to say loving? You know, there are a lot of things about us that are true that don't need to be said. There are things about our physical appearance. There are things about our personalities. There are things that are true about us but don't need to be repeated, don't need to be brought up, don't need to be said. They don't need to be commented on either to the person or to anyone else because those aren't, those aren't loving actions. And all of us also have painful and embarrassing things in our past, things that are verifiably true, but love knows that commenting on or repeating those things is bringing fire. It's not bringing rain. We'll also ask, is what I'm about to say necessary? Does what I'm about to say need to be said? To use Paul's language as he was writing to Timothy, We'll ask these questions. Is what I'm about to say going to teach something that needs to be taught? We'll also ask is what I'm about to say going to help turn someone away from sin that's in their life? We'll ask is what I'm about to say going to help correct some important misinformation that that person is spreading around? And we'll ask Is what I'm about to say going to help guide that person to be more like Christ? And if those things aren't true, we need to ask ourselves, then does it really need to be said? And we should also ask if maybe what we're about to say should really just stop with me. I love this from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 20. It says this, For lack of wood... A fire goes out. Where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Let me say that again. For lack of wood, a fire goes out. Where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. You know, often the best way to stop a fire is by depriving it of fuel. So that rumor that I heard, it can just stop with me. That gossip I heard, it can just stop with me. That funny but embarrassing story I heard about someone else, that can just stop with me. See, there are so many things that we can whisper to others that just fan the flames. It's just fanning the flames with the hot winds of our own words. But those flames won't be fanned if it just stops with me. And we should also ask, 
Do these words I'm about to say, do they build up? Do they build up the person who's hearing them? Do they build up the person that these words are about? Do they build up the church by bringing rain, or do they harm the church by bringing fire? We should also ask, are these words I'm about to say, are they words that I have permission to share? We must be people who keep the things that we are told in confidence, we must keep those things confidential. And when we're unsure if they were told to us in confidence, we must keep them confidential. We won't ever betray trust. And we also must ask ourselves, is my motive for saying these words, is my motive for what I'm about to say, is my motive pure? Do we have pure motives? Am I seeking the good? Am I seeking the very best for my brother? Am I seeking the good? Am I seeking the very best for my sister? And am I looking out for the best interest of my church family? Is my motive pure? Or maybe I'm just looking for a cheap laugh. Or maybe I'm wanting to make myself look good. Or maybe I'm wanting to even a score. We will be people who ask ourselves, is my motive pure? And finally, the question that we should all ask ourselves before we speak is, what I am about to say, will it honor God? Are the words that are about to come off of my tongue, are they words that will honor God? And what words honor God? I'll paraphrase Paul once again, this time from Philippians. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, speak about these things. And if we do speak about those things and only those things, our God will be honored. And we'll bring control to our tongues and we'll bring rain to our church. And those destructive fires of the tongue will never even get started. So I'll leave the final words to the great theologian Smokey the Bear, who said, remember, only you can prevent wildfires. So let's be a house which serves God and serves each other by controlling our tongues. And if you're here this morning and you need help controlling your tongue, you're in really good company. This room is full of people who need help controlling their tongues. And the good news is help is available. Won't you let us know that you need help And we'll use our tongues to lift your needs up in prayer to our God. And we are confident that our God will help. And if you're here this morning and you'd like to be a part of this family. A family that's desperately trying to control our tongues. A family that's desperately trying to honor God. A family that's desperately trying to keep peace in our house. We would love to talk to you about joining us as we strive to serve and honor God.
Won't you let us know what your needs are? You can do that in a few different ways. We're going to stand up and we're going to sing a song that we call an invitation song. During that song, you can walk to the front and you can let us know what your needs are. Or if you're more comfortable doing it in a more private setting, you can walk to the back, ask someone to direct you to room 104. In that room will be a couple of our elders. They're godly men who would love to talk to you about your needs. So you can do that as we sing the song. Or if you would prefer, you can reach into the rack in front of you, pull out one of the prayer request cards. You can write down what your needs are, put your name and phone number on those cards, drop them in one of our prayer request boxes, and we will honor your request. We'll be in contact with you, and we'll help in any way that we're able. But whatever your needs are, won't you let us know while we stand up and we sing this song, we sing it together.